everybody, and welcome to another episode of Biz Books. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you so much for watching and listening as well. I am glad that you are joining us today. Really fun book. Uh, I don't know if AI can actually be considered to be fun, uh, but it is a it is a very very important topic uh, for not only consumers but more importantly for business people that are running companies to understand um, the business case for AI. And that is the title of this book. It's called "The Business Case for AI: A Leader's Guide to AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real World Applications." Um, the, the author is Kavita Ganison. First of all, can you, I should have asked you Kavita before I started. Ganison is the right way to pronounce your last name. Is yes, that correct? Ganison. Correct. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. That's great. So, um, Kavita, you're an AI advisor, you're an educator, you're a consultant. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself for starters and, and how you came to write the book. Sure. So my, um, background with AI goes long back, uh, to 2005. So that's when I got started with AI and it started with my master's program at the University of Southern California. Okay. So at that time itself, they had cutting edge AI research going on. And I was exposed to the whole field of algorithm development and uh, creative problem solving. And I was hooked. I wanted to do more of AI. So that's when I went back to do my PhD in the field. And then as I was about to graduate uh, data science as a field, which kind of uses AI, really started to take off. And I got into solving a lot of industry problems on the hands-on basis. And as, as, as I was doing that, um, other companies started contacting me to help them implement AI in their businesses. Hmm. So that's how I got into more and more consulting roles. So I've worked in a lot of different roles from academic research to hands-on implementation to working with C-suite. So, and I've seen a lot of the problems in the field in implementing AI into business. Mm. And that's when I realized that these AI um, initiatives, they're not uh, failing because the problems was uh, unsolvable. There are a lot of other issues like um, mismatched expectations or knowledge gaps. So my book is to address these knowledge gaps. So I wanted, to, wanted it to become the bridge to address the knowledge gaps. Got it. But it, yeah, it doesn't assume that you have any AI knowledge. So it starts with a very foundation of what is AI, how, what does it mean in the context of business? And then it works its way up to more complex topics like should you build or should you buy? How do you find these AI opportunities? How do you measure the success of AI? So that's kind of how the book came to be. That is, um, that is great. And by the way, for all of you guys who are listening or watching now, I mean, hopefully uh, we all realize that AI stands for artificial intelligence. Yeah. Um, and AI is the acronym for it. So um, just to make sure that we're, we're all clear on that. Um, and, and so Kavita, besides selling millions of copies of this book, um, what else, you know, how, how are you earning your livelihood now? Are you, do you consider yourself to be a consultant right now? And do companies hire you to come in and you know, and, and recommend ideas and processes? Are you still doing, you know, uh, you know, coding, you know, like, you know, how do you earn your, your, your livelihood right now? My livelihood is uh, primarily consulting. Okay. So companies need a lot of help in maybe implementing AI into their workflow. So a lot of, a lot of times they have an idea, but they're not sure if AI is the right solution or how to even make a project out of this idea. So that's where I come in because I understand the business side of things and mm. also the hands-on implementation side. So I'm like right in between translating business requirements 
into um, solvable pieces of uh, project, like AI projects. Yeah. You know, so, it's, yeah. it's funny, you know, when we talk about AI, my, my father, um, he, um, he passed away back in 2005, but he was a... Um, uh, he was a developer himself. And I remember as a kid growing up, he talked to me about AI. Um, in your book, you wrote that AI actually got its start like, you know, in the 1940s, you know, like you, know, you, you think about it, like it's such a current thing now. Everybody is, oh, automation and workflow and AI and machine learning. And, um, but it goes back a long, long period of time. Like what was it first, how was it first implemented back, you know, post-World War II? Like what was it, what, what was it thought of to do? I think uh, the early systems were heavily like rules-based. So encoding human knowledge okay. in the form of software rules. So it did not learn based off of data like the systems do right now. The um, modern AI systems learn from large amounts of uh, training data. So the examples, so, and it looks for patterns in those data. And then it makes, comes up with a, like a mathematical function to make predictions on new data. So it started off very rules-based and then it progressed um, into more data-driven. And actually AI has had its summers and winters. So every time computation power is insufficient and research hits a plateau, they go into AI winters. And then when uh, computation power becomes more available, then um, the research starts to take off again which is how um, deep learning, have you heard of deep learning? I have, which we're gonna talk yeah. about in a minute. <laughs> yes, and deep learning gained its popularity just recently because of computation power that became available like in 2011. Yeah. And this was in the form of like cloud-based uh, instances where you can borrow uh, computing resources from, uh, from the cloud really. Right. Understood. Yeah. Understood. Okay. So there are in, in your book, you say there are five topics that really kind of make up AI. You talk mm -hmm. deep learning is one of them. Yeah. Machine learning is one of them. Computer vision, robotics, and natural language processing. So I, I think it would really be helpful for all of us to, you know, for, for us to go through those five topics and have you, you know, one by one sort of give a definition of each and maybe an example okay. of each. So um, no need, I can prompt you. This is easy. You know, like let's start with machine learning, right. Which okay. you also call ML. What is it? And, and give me an example of, of where we see machine learning in real life. Okay. So just to provide some context, people often think AI is one thing, right. but it's, it's actually uh, different sub areas of study that come to come together to solve specific problems. And you can use these sub areas that you mentioned in isolation or in combination. Okay. So machine learning, for example, uh, algorithms that learn from data. So let's say you're trying to make prediction um, to see if a credit card transaction is fraudulent or not. So you learn from a lot of different data points on what makes a credit card transaction fraudulent and what's a legitimate transaction. So based on the example, the, the algorithm forms its function. And the next time a transaction comes in, it knows, okay, with this 98% probability, this transaction is in fact fraudulent. So it's very data driven. So and that's just to give a, to give an example. I'm just thinking about that also, like in my life, like my wife is from England. We travel to the UK a few, you know, a few times a year. Um, I remember initially we would go to the UK and our credit cards, you know, we charged something over in London and we would get questioned on it. You know, like what, what, you know, yeah. the credit card company would ask what's going on. This is years ago. 
we don't get asked those questions anymore. It's almost as if the credit card companies have gotten smarter. They're using machine learning uh, to figure out that, hey, this, this person's transactions, we see multiple times a year, you know, this credit card holder does go to the UK. And is, you know, so it's not an unusual thing that we need to flag. Is that an example? Yes. That, and also, they, when you travel, you're using your credit card to buy those tickets. Yes. So it has that information that maybe you have traveled to the United Kingdom. So then it makes sense that the credit card transaction is valid in that in that country. So it does a lot of analytics and AI, yes, behind the scenes. Got it. Okay, that's yeah. great. Were you going to say something else about machine learning? Because that really that really brings. Um, yeah, learning. and within machine learning itself, there are different classes of machine learning. Like okay. Something called supervised learning, where you need to know the correct answers. So if a transaction was fraudulent, you need to know, uh, like you need the data for attributes that led to a fraudulent transaction. So the correct answers need to be provided. But there are some algorithms where you don't have to provide the correct answers. It just figures things out. So this is called unsupervised learning. So these are two broad classes. And um, the newer models, like you may have heard GPT-3 and generative AI, um, that are being thrown out in the news. Mm -hmm. So these are called semi-supervised learning systems. So these systems learn from large amounts of web data and it can complete tasks for you without you having to train the system again. So you can use this system to maybe do sentiment classification or do sentence editing, copywriting. So these are semi-supervised, these are learned from large amounts of web data. And these are the newer types of uh, generative systems. Got it. Okay, that's very helpful. Let's go to the next one, which is deep learning. Tell us about that. So deep learning uses is like a subset of machine learning, uh, which uses something called neural networks behind the scenes. And the, the intuition is that it mimics the way humans um, have... Uh, connectors in our brains um, to make decisions. So it that's the, the whole thinking behind neural networks. Okay. So it's mimicking how we humans make decisions. Mm. And the way machine learning differs from deep learning is that deep learning can find which combination of attributes can learn a specific prediction. It learns the weights automatically. It learns which attributes to use. Whereas for machine learning, you need to say use maybe uh, attribute X, Y, and Z to make predictions. Is so, um is deep learning like is it is like autonomous vehicles like a, a form of deep learning because it's not only using data that might be in a system but also all sorts of data all around a vehicle to make decisions as to which way to yeah move the vehicle. There, there are different uses of deep learning within a like a self-driving car. So right. in order to see obstacles and objects on the road, it uses computer vision paired with deep learning to make those decisions. Got yes. it. And, and you know, it's, it's um, we'll get into this also a little bit later in the conversation, I hope, but um, you know, all of this machine learning and particularly deep learning, I, I mean, my understanding is that it takes a lot of hardware, a lot yeah. of processing, right? I mean, what I I, I listened to this great interview. Is that you you must know Lex Friedman, right? Who does a great podcast and yeah. um and he's an AI and he interviewed Elon Musk like about a year ago and you know even Elon Musk was saying how challenging it was to get Tesla to do its autonomous you know with its autonomous vehicles because 
he said it's it's a combination of machine learning and deep learning but the the processors that are needed the hardware yeah. you know to put into yeah. a car to make a split second decision not to run over a puppy you know um he said it's 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 really hard <laughs> it's really hard yes and because these um deep learning networks are so complex mm. they can sometimes take time to make predictions it's not yeah. instantaneous yeah so there's a trade-off between making a prediction fast enough versus making an accurate prediction and yeah that's that's going that's hard in a self-driving car because this these things need to be embedded within the uh yeah. itself yeah I, I think about that as well like kavita like if i you ever like i i was just about this the other day i was walking through an airport and i was walking through like a you know a terminal and there's masses of people walking towards me you know and um and i just happened to uh, you know bump into a friend there and i was thinking to myself like afterwards how like there's just thousands of people coming by me and my brain is able to like instantaneously determine that like don't know this person don't know this person don't know this person don't know this person i know this person do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and and i think about like the power of like the human brain like that that can perform those levels of processing and functioning um yeah. and and what would be needed for a you know a computer to do the same thing just seems like just a, you know just a huge huge challenge you know yeah it is an uphill battle and we are trying to make ai more and more like humans mm. but we're not quite there yet especially when it comes to like common sense reasoning uh we're just not there yet it's still memorizing based on data and weights right so the common sense reasoning component is is still being worked on okay so we talked yeah. about machine learning we talked about deep learning these are components like sort of like the building blocks yeah. of ai mm -hmm. um computer vision is another one that you say what well, tell us about that so computer vision is all about understanding images and videos so understanding ah. what's within an image what's within a video frame so is there a stop sign so that's how um autonomous vehicles know hey there's a stop sign maybe i need to slow down so Got being it. able to detect these different objects is what computer vision is. And it's often paired with deep learning behind the scenes to learn from large amounts of images. Facial rec recognition as well without with that. Facial recognition as well. Yep. Yeah. Got it. So when I go, I'm just using the airport analogy because we just came back from the UK. So, you know, they have global entry now and they, they, yes. they really take a picture of your face and yes. like almost instantaneously, you're like, okay, you can go through. Is that, that's an example of computer vision? That's a very good example. In fact, I used it just recently. It's pretty amazing. It really yeah, it is, is amazing. Yeah. It's a, for you to say it's amazing amazes me because you're the expert in this and you're like, wow, this, this shit really works. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty new thing. Like I just walked in and they said, go. <laughs> so I, I, know. <laughs> I know. It's pretty impressive. It really yeah. is. Okay. So machine learning, deep learning, computer vision. We have two more components of AI. Uh, robotics is the next one. Tell me about uh, what, what robotics is. So robotics is basically trying to take the different human functions and trying to use that within a machine to achieve specific tasks. So let's say uh, there is a report of a bomb in a particular location. Mm. Then you can send this robot to put off this bomb, detonate the bomb. And the robot uh, needs to understand a few things like maybe human commands. So that's where natural language processing comes in, the intelligence part. It needs to understand how to move correctly. And that's another area of study within uh, robotics, which is called um, sensing, I believe. Mm. Um, so understanding how to move accurately. And then um, computer vision. 
to see the object. So it uses all these different AI, AI applications mm. in a machine. So basically it has a embedded computer within uh, that robot, yeah. And is it there are is robotics and AI, you know, you sort of the technology that we're hearing now, like in warehouses and factories. Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon is installing a bunch of robotics to perform the functions of humans. Um, and I guess that uses a combination of computer vision and some type of machine learning, correct? Correct. Yes. It used to be that robots were just mechanical machines yeah. where just move uh, object A from location A to B. Um, but now it has more intelligence in it. Like it can actually see what the object is. So it's a lot more intelligent. Yeah. Another, I, you know, I'm thinking as well, just because this is all such real life stuff. When I walk around uh, giant uh, supermarkets, I don't know if you guys have giant out in, um, in Salt Lake, but um, there's a bunch of them in the mid-Atlantic area. And they have, a, they have these uh, uh, robots that walk around the store. They actually, they glide around the store and um, they're there. They have natural language. You can literally ask the robot, like, where can I, where, what aisle is corn in, you know? Um, they can also identify if there's any spills on the floor or if mm -hmm. there's any uh, things missing from shelves. So right. it, you know, to your definition, it's using its computer vision. It's using some of its machine learning to then right. you know notify you know the shelf needs to be restocked or there's a safety issue on aisle three. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's that's advanced stuff. That really that's is advanced stuff, and it's super infused with uh, AI. Yeah, super yeah. infused. It's cool. Yeah. Okay. So the last topic that's, you know, you know, underneath sort of the umbrella of AI is natural language processing. I guess this is voice. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. NLP is all of, natural language processing or NLP um, is all about understanding human language mm. um, and corresponding with humans the way humans would with each other. So in the case of chatbots, it's all NLP. So you're understanding what the human is saying. And then you're, you're responding uh, in a way that makes sense. And NLP goes beyond just um, like chatbots. It can also be used to understand documents, mm. business documents, and then categorize these documents accordingly. Uh, it can be used for sentiment analysis, so trying to understand what co your customers are thinking about your brand. Um, it can help you classify uh, like support tickets. So where which department should it go to? So there's lots of business applications of uh, NLP, really. And yeah, we have a lot of text data. We do. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of information that is done. And I guess one of the more common uses of that, I mean, Amazon Alexa, right? If you're you know in your home, I mean, you are talking to Alexa and it's theoretically talking back to you. I guess that's a, a fairly good example of natural language processing. Correct. Yeah. And that is called a uh, speech recognition. So that's okay. a, a form of NLP. That's correct. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's great. All right. So listen, I'm, you know, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the book as well, because I do want to get into some of the other concepts. And again, this is, you know, the, the whole purpose of this conversation is to entice people to buy this book. You know, there's a lot more detail in this book that uh, we're not sharing that we're not. So we just have time to do it, but um, so, you know, but you, you have a whole chapter about maximizing AI success. And there is one, um, one part of that, you give like five tips for doing it. One of them is about addressing foundational gaps, which mm -hmm. I found interesting. Can you explain, you know, what that means? Addressing foundation. Uh, sorry, just a moment. <laughs> I had, my kid just came in. So. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. No this is why we pre-record this stuff. This is why we, yeah, we can always <laughs> edit, move things around. It's completely fine. 
Sorry. Yeah, could you please uh, repeat the sentence? No worries at all. So, um, you know, one of the chapters, uh, early chapter in your in your book, was talking about, um, you know, you succeeding with, you know, with AI. You know, in other words, uh, uh, you know, maximizing your success. Mm -hmm. And you give five tips. And again, if you want to buy the book, buy the book so you can read the five tips. One of them, though, um, was about addressing foundational gaps. And yes. I just wanted to ask if you could expand on what you mean. Um, by what what a foundational gap is and why that's important to maximize um, your success with AI. Yes. Yeah, so in order to do AI, um, we need data. We need a lot of preparation elements essentially. So and data is one big uh, part of it. Mm -hmm. So these are the types of gaps you want to focus on. So maybe your data readiness gaps. So maybe you're not aggressively collecting data. So you, you may want to start doing that because you can't just go into an AI initiative without data because that's going to be a non-starter uh, for your project. So that's one type of gap. Another gap is um, like um, cultural readiness. Right. So there's a lot of um, fear around AI. So how are you going to address those um, cultural readiness gaps? So maybe uh, you need to educate your employee and your customers on what is this AI thing? Why is it useful for the business? So you to identify the different types of gaps. And I also talk about the five types of AI readiness gaps. One is cultural readiness. The other is uh, budget, mm. uh, infrastructure, skills, and data. And I call this uh, B-Kids in the book. Yeah, the uh, it's funny because the 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 things you mentioned, like infrastructure, is a perfect example. We just talked about that earlier. How you have to have that there skills, you know, having the right people internally that can not only develop your AI solutions but also deploy them, which is really really important. You also talk about in the book about you know some myths about AI. Um, you know, people think that AI is going to eliminate jobs, and and you know that, that that's certainly a myth. It's not going to take over all jobs. I, I was hoping you could you could kind of elaborate on some of the myths of AI. One of them is about accuracy. Um, you know, you say that you know, AI is rarely 100% accurate. Correct, um, yeah. It's a myth that it's perfect, you know? Um, so what do we do about that? I mean, I thought the whole point of automating using AI is to make things better and more accurate. <laughs> Correct, yeah. That, so every AI application has an associated accuracy to it. So if it's 95% accurate, there's a 5% chance that it's going to make mistakes. Right. And that's on data that it understands, it maybe has seen in the past. But if you feed it like suboptimal data, then the inaccuracy is going to significantly be higher. So let's take the task of like predicting the risk of lung cancer. Let's say it's trained on a lot of CT scans uh, historical CT scans, yep. but if you provide it an image that is suboptimal, it's not very clear, then it's it's going to make a mistake. Um, so that's why uh, we need to be very careful about how we use these AI systems. Just like humans, it can make mistakes, but the mistakes can be very different from the type of mistakes we make because we have the contacts, we have the common sense reasoning, and some of those AI mistakes are can be really silly, like you'll be like, really? You made mistake on this simple thing? And you see, see a lot of that in self-driving cars, like self-driving cars crash all the time because maybe it did not see the object on the road or, or it thought the object was a stop sign or something like that. 
sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it, and we always have to remember that AI itself, even though it was started in the 1940s, um, it's still a very, very young technology. Um, and there is still a ways to go. And AI itself is developed by developers and developers themselves make mistakes or have inadequate or incomplete tools. Right, yeah. And because of that, you know, it's, it's, it, it shouldn't be relied on. And I guess that gets back to the, you know, one of the myths saying like, you shouldn't be thinking that AI is the be all and end all. Once you develop an AI solution, it's going to be this perfectly running, perfectly functioning thing. You have to, uh, you know, you have to accept the fact that it's not going to be perfect and, and mistakes will be made. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing to keep in mind is that these systems can be improved over time. Yeah. So maybe you start with a baseline system and then you get more data that's representative of your problems. You add that to your um, model. So you, you need to be uh, prepared for the long term for when it comes to AI. You can't just deploy one system and expect it to work for the next 10 years because your data will change, the regulations will change. So this AI thing needs to be updated very frequently. I found now as a, I, I run a small business, so um, there's no way that I can hire developers to develop AI solutions for me. You know, Kavita, like I, I normally tell our clients who are also small businesses, like, you know, if you really want to leverage AI, talk to the software vendors that you're already using right now, because those are bigger companies with more resources that are likely developing, uh, you know, AI types of functionality that, that, you know, for their own customers that you can be taken advantage of, you know? Um, and a lot of my clients are like, well, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't know, you know, what, you know, you know, what benefits AI will bring to me or how they can improve my business processes. You had a whole chapter in this book that basically said, this is how AI can improve your business processes. Yes. And you give examples by functionality in a business. Um, and, you know, you, you talk about how it can improve customer service and HR and sales and marketing and operations and manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me pull out a couple, couple items here just to, to give your, our listeners and viewers just a taste. Okay. So yeah. let's talk about customer service. Well, you know, just start with that. How can AI improve, you know, your, your customer service operations? Oh, um, so the nice thing about customer service is there's a lot of data. That's the nice part of customer service. And also there's a lot of inefficiencies hmm. and a lot of uh, pre-established metrics like your average response times, um, first contact resolution rate. So that's how the service agents are measured um, in terms of performance. And because of these things, um, you can find areas where there's a lot of manual, repetitive work that requires human-like decision-making. So for example, um, let's say it's a problem of routing incoming support tickets. So a lot of companies still do this manually. The support mm. ticket comes in, the service agent has to read the support ticket, understand it, and then route it to the correct department for resolution. Right. So this is a complex decision-making problem. It's repetitive. It needs a human in the loop. However, you can teach an AI system to make these routing decisions. And the productivity of the employee immediately improves because then they may just have to focus on the really difficult routing tasks or those that the AI could not handle. So they're supported by this AI system behind the scenes. And also you can operate uh, with a much leaner team when you infuse AI into areas like this, where there's lots of manual work, it's very repetitive and like 
human level decision making is required. So like routing is mm. one area. Um, another area is in corresponding to with customers and answering mm. their common questions mm. uh, in the form of like virtual uh, assistance. So let's say customers have questions about uh, what documents to fill for a particular problem. So you can ask this question through a chatbot and it'll immediately understand that what this is about and then give you the link to that um, to that uh, form. And as a result, the number of incoming support requests will significantly reduce because the AI agent is already handling a lot of these common requests. So it improves the efficiency of your service operators in general. So they focus on the harder tasks. Um, these you are know, it's, I'm going to interrupt you. You know, you you make me think of my experience. Like you, um, you know, we, we had a a dog uh, who she she passed away a couple of years ago. Her name was Lavender. I did not name her Lavender Kavita, by the way. That was my wife's name for her. Okay. <laughs> and um, but she was a sickly dog when we got her. We got her from a you know from a you know like as a rescue. And um, she, we had her on all sorts of medications. So became very, very close with our local CVS pharmacy. And I would get texts from CVS, uh, un, you know, unannounced, just they would text me and say, uh, hey, Lavender's prescription is coming, dude, do you want to renew it? And I would text back and be like, yes, please renew. And then they would text back and say like, oh, you know, you're out of renewals. Would you like us to contact your, your vet? And I'd be like, yes, please contact your vet and, you know, contact our vet. And then it would text me back, you know, saying we've contacted your vet and uh, we've renewed your prescription. You can pick it. Where would you like to pick it up? Would you like it mailed? I don't know. We'll pick it up. Anyway, I, I'm pretty sure I was talking to a bot the entire time. I'm pretty sure this was yeah. an AI generated, you're using a customer service and transactional, whatever. Is, I mean, that's, that's probably yes, true. I, I right? think you are, you are right. These, these are types of things that the AI can handle. It understands your request, then translate it into a, a database query, then it queries database and sends back a response like, like from a human. Yeah. yeah. And it's a um and, and it's a common, clearly it's it's a common type of conversation. I mean, CVS yeah. has you know millions of customers that just have to renew prescriptions yeah. and it's unusual. And I'm assuming if I were to ask a more complex question, like, oh, if I give, you know, will this will this medication interfere with something else or I have a whatever, I'm assuming the bot would be intelligent enough, the AI behind the bot would be intelligent enough to say, hold on, let me connect you to a you know a customer service representative, yes. right? Correct. Yeah, and I don't think they uh, CVS can support millions of customers right. and answer those kind of common questions. So it right. makes sense that they would use a bot behind the scenes. Okay, we're going to get into because you you do talk about the book, like you know later on, like I, I some of your advice on building these types of applications. But mm -hmm. just because you know, just again for our listeners and for our viewers, that's customer service. That's great. Um, yeah, how about manufacturing operations? I'm curious about that as well. You give some examples in the book, like you know, how does AI help? in in the manufacturing process if you're a, a business manager or executive or an operations person i yeah in a few ways one is in the manufacturing line itself mm. so uh there can be lots of defects in manufactured products mm. and the human eye may not be able to detect the really small defects like we can see things that are large enough for, for us to see and we often miss things because we are sometimes distracted and you know, we are being called into different meetings, but the AI system can see uh, really minuscule abnormalities in the form of images. 
So by feeding it images of the product, it can detect, hey, there's a defect here and there's a defect here. Mm. So by doing this, you are proactively uh, finding the defects uh, in the manufacturing line. So, and you're preventing it from going down uh, further the manufacturing line. So you're, uh, so there'll be less returns from customers. There'll be less remanufactured parts. So you're going to save lots in terms of uh, revenues just by proactively de detecting defects early on. That's one use of uh, AI uh, in manufacturing. And, Fascinating. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, another use is in trying to predict when a machine is going to fail. Okay. Um, so just by looking at historical parameters of the machine and when it fails, you can preemptively predict uh, failures that are going to happen. So what the, the company can then do is maybe schedule maintenance at a time where no manufacturing is happening, as opposed to interrupting the whole manufacturing line, which costs them millions of dollars in lost revenues. So AI has a lot of power in manufacturing. It does. Um, now, you know, as I said earlier, if you're a smaller business and you're looking to, to leverage some of that automation, even in the manufacturing process, I mean, my recommendation is to go to your, if you have manufacturing software already, you know, yes. you know Dynamics or Sage or Epicor yeah. or something like that. I think it's a pretty good bet that you know, those people are developing these solutions, right. You should, mm -hmm. right? You should probably be going to them and saying, you know, what do you have? But okay, say you're a larger organization or say that you really have a very unique application um, that you want to you wanna leverage machine learning to, you know, to, to improve a process. You lay out these, these sort of six phases of a, of a development project, you know? You say that you, it's problem definition and then it's data acquisition and then it's model development and then post-development testing and model yeah. deployment and monitoring and feedback. Um, walk us through that development life cycle. I just, I mean, I named yeah. six phases. So um, in 30 seconds or less, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, just give us some of your thoughts on on having a project like this and deploying those six phases mm -hmm. and what, what things um, you know a, yeah. a, a manager should be keeping in mind. Yeah, so the first thing is to understand that you do have an AI problem mm. because often we think that a software automation problem is an AI problem, which is not the case. Uh, most software automation problems can be solved with just software engineering. Right. And very uh, specific problems that, like I said, requires complex decision-making, it's repetitive, it's high volume and requires human-like decision-making. So those tend to qualify for um, for the use of AI, like natural language processing and machine learning. So once you've identified the problem, you need to actually lay out like the building blocks, not the building blocks, the details of the problem. So what pain point are you solving? So that's where the problem definition comes right. in. So once you outline the pain point, you know what metrics you could potentially track when you deploy this AI system. So the problem defi definition piece is the most uh, important, I say, when it comes to AI. And then you need to figure out if you have the supporting data for the initiative, because that's how these AI systems are built today, yeah. using large amounts of data. So if you don't have the data, you have to go acquire that data first. Um, so that's the data acquisition step. 
And once you have these problem definition and data, then comes the uh, prototyping. So trying to build a model to solve mm. the, the problem. So that's the model development phase. I'm thinking, so I'm going to just stop you right there. The yeah. data acquisition part that you mentioned, I mean, mm -hmm. this is machine learning. And you said earlier, it's, it's all based, it's, it's learning from the data that you have. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how AI works. If it doesn't have any data to work off of, it's not going to work. So yeah. that's important to either acquire it or have a process for building it. Mm -hmm. So your, your application can learn from it. And then that, you know, once you do have that and then you, you want to develop this model, I'm, I'm thinking of flow charts. Is that right? You know, like if this, then that, if, you know, if the answer is yes, you do this. If the response is no, you do that. Is that what you mean by model development? So model development is um, in the context of the ML development lifecycle in my book okay. is using AI algorithms like machine learning algorithms to learn from that data. So basically you set up the data in a way that the machine learning algorithm can learn from. So uh, at, let's say you're trying to predict um, the price of a home in a particular area. So maybe right. you have different attributes like the size of the house or the historical price of the house and things like those are the attributes. So you set up the attributes and then you set up the correct answer, the labels. So then the algorithm looks at the data point and the corresponding labels and then it learns how to make predictions on future data so that's what the algorithm does it uses uh, it. different mathematical functions uh the different probabilities the different weights so it decides how to learn so different algorithms learn differently so got that's it the development part yeah got it so you develop and then you start testing correct correct then before deploying you want to test it with real users in a real scenario. Sounds like so a good idea. <laughs> Pardon? Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, like real, uh, I guess, beta users, not mm -hmm. really uh, customers. Mm -hmm. um, so because you want to see how your model behaves uh, with real life situation, you don't want mm -hmm. it to go out into production and start failing. And the data in real life is often slightly different from the data it's trained on. So try to gauge uh, what's going on there and also try to see whether it's really moving the needle in terms of uh, the business metrics that you have set up. Um, so is it, if it's promised to reduce the time to complete a task, mm -hmm. is it really doing that? Mm -hmm. Or is it creating more friction in the workflow? Mm -hmm. So once you've um, made sure that it, it's looking good, that's when you'll deploy the model fully into production. And once you've deployed, that's not it. You'll have mm -hmm. to keep monitoring this model because it the performance can drop with time. Like sure. I mentioned earlier, the data distribution of data can change. Um, the regulations may change. <laughs> Your customers may change. So they are feeding it with different data. So you want to keep monitoring this model. And um, if anything bad happens, like the performance goes below expected thresholds, then you'll want to take this model apart and see what's going on. So that's where the monitoring uh, comes in. Vita, who's the um, like? What kind of team do you need to have in place to do this? You know, I mean, like, give me what what type of skill sets um, would you think a company has to make sure their people have or the team members have to have to sure. implement a machine learning solution like this? Yeah, to start with, you need a business stakeholder who's having that particular pain point like okay. uh, it can be a 
a customer service agent or a group of customer service agents having this problem and their manager. Okay. So they want to provide input to the data science people. Then you need to have the data science team, which can be just one person to start with if you're a small business. And then you to productionize models and to support uh, the data acquisition and all of that, you may need uh, a person called a data engineer who does all the the collecting the data, making sure the data scientist gets the data that they need. And then um, maybe you need software engineers to mm -hmm. integrate the model into your workflow. Um, so you always need a business stakeholder. You need some data scientists and data engineers and maybe software engineers <clears throat> to integrate all of this. And I'm assuming also some some testers as well, maybe some people that that you know know nothing other than just using, you know, yeah. to to emulate what customers would be experiencing, right? Yeah, and and for larger companies, the models may have to go for review, like yeah. maybe to test it for bias and potential risks and uh, the bigger implications to the business. Got it. So, yeah. mm -hmm. And are these standalone applications that are written using? you know, whatever code that might be available today or, 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 you know, software language, C sharp or whatever, um, that are just pulling on data from different sources. Is that these, is that how they're generally deployed? Um, mostly it uses the tools today, mostly use Python. Okay. And these tools, um, the, the different layers of abstraction, like mm. Amazon provides some tools that are really easy to use, you just specify the data source, the type of model, and then it does the deployment for you. So it depends on how you. Um, so maybe it's about. So does that mean it? It depends on where your data is hosted. Like Amazon will provide those tools if you're on AWS or Amazon Web Services. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, it depends um, on the tools you decide to use as a company. So you can right. just develop everything from scratch, right? From the algorithms, right? Um, you can reuse libraries, uh, right. Python libraries, but you may decide to develop the whole deployment architecture yourself. But you could also use third-party architectures like what's given by Amazon so that they help you deploy, they help you monitor. And Amazon, Azure, and Google, they provide um, like easy to deploy uh, AI platforms. And I'm assuming that, you know, well, you, you tell me, I mean, would you, do you normally recommend to your clients that they take advantage of those tools? I mean, the more customized or proprietary your development is, uh, you know, the more risk that you're taking. If one of your developers gets hit by a bus or disappears or whatever, uh, that you, you could be in trouble. Whereas if you use one of these, you know, tools provided by Amazon, their Python yeah. tools or Google you've got more of a support infrastructure you could lean on if there's any adjustments that need to be made. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. So what I recommend is if there is an off the shelf tool that doesn't require coding, like yeah. um, speech recognition, there are many off the shelf tools. Yeah. So if you can use that and it works well on your data, that's the route you should take because that simplifies everything. You don't have to manage any infrastructure with that. Right. Um, and, but if you're prototyping something, I typically recommend just, focusing on the prototype itself. So just um, staying off the different platforms because that add, can add complexity. So once you know it works, then try to use one of the platforms available. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. 
All right, Kimia, we're running out of time. This is just great stuff. And I've, you know, we've covered such a, a small percentage of what's in your book. Just just a couple more quick questions. Tell me what um, what B-Kids are. B-Kids is the five preparation elements for AI, um, which helps you fill the AI readiness gaps in your organization. And it stands for budget, culture, infrastructure, data, and skills. And uh, each one of these uh, pillars have a different focus and for the and it helps you with the long-term adoption of AI. So for data, for example, um, you want to think about, are you warehousing your data stores? Because your data may be operating in silos. So mm -hmm. a data store from branch A may not know anything about data store from branch B. But in order to do AI and analytics, you need to have a holistic view of your data. And if you're not, not aggressively collecting data, then you need to be doing that uh, from the daily running of your business because that's where you can start using AI and analytics. Um, and also some companies are still, um, they're still operating based off paper processes. Yeah. But in order to do any sort of AI or analytics, you need all of the data in digital form. So right. start um, digitizing your paper processes. So just like this, with these different elements, uh, with these different preparation pillars, I've provided some questions that you can ask to surface your AI readiness gaps. So it's budget, culture, infrastructure, data, and data skills. And, skills. Yeah. and these are the, the five pillars that you need to make sure that you're basing any AI project around. Um, one final acronym, and then I'll let you know, tell us about what or who, what you mean by an MVP? A minimum viable product is MVP. And in the case of AI, an MVP is um, a model that you can start using with your customers. Um, and then you iterate on this model to make it better over time because AI solutions are not they're not deterministic. They don't just operate the way you think they're going to operate. They'll be, they'll give you many surprises. Um, so MVP is a starting point. And then you get feedback from customers. You get, you see problems with the model. Then you iterate to improve the MVP. And that becomes your uh, more full-blown solution. The book is called The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide to All AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. Kavita, Kavita Gannison is the author. Kavita, who do you want to read this book? Who is, who is your target market? I would say innovators, people who are looking to innovate in their company, uh, the C-suite, um, you're trying to make your company more efficient, product managers, and line managers who are going to manage uh, teams that are going to implement AI, all of them should have a high level understanding of AI. And I think this book will be uh, very helpful uh, to these people. Yeah, it was a it was a great book. Uh, it was great knowledge for me. It is again, like I said, most of my my focus is on small and mid sized businesses. But but I, but I do work with a few larger organizations that before they even get started. It's like, this is like a game plan um, and sort of like a, you know, a strategic book to know, like a must read before you embark on any AI project. 
it sort of just gives you everything in advance that you need to be considering. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't make any mistakes. It is, uh, it, it's really excellent. Kavita, you're, you have two websites, um, opinosis.ai, O-P-I-N-O-S-I-S.ai, and yep. your own website for, I guess you're speaking and consulting, it's kavitaganison.com. It's K-A-V-I-T-A-G-A-N-E-S-A-N.com. We'll be putting these websites up as well in our post-production so that you know, people can read it. Hopefully it's on the screen as I'm speaking. Um, but Kavita, this is, uh, it, it, it's great work. I want to wish you the best of success. Uh, you Thank are you. in a, you're in a field right now. That is you picked the right specialty because it's growing and will continue to grow for many years to come. And I'm assuming, uh, I'm pretty sure this will be the first of many books that you'll write about it as well. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Gene. Thank you. Everybody, you've been listening and watching BizBooks. My name is Gene Martz. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I will be back in another two weeks with another conversation with another great business books author like Kavita uh, discussing their new book offering um, and how you can learn from it. So thanks so much for joining us. We will see you again next time. Take care.